connecting to the real nerds is so easy. You can go to our website, realnerdspodcast.com. You can like us on Facebook. We have a Twitter account, at Real Nerds. We also have Instagram. You can call us, 720-6Nerds5. You want to email us? You can do that, too, realnerds at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Welcome to Denver Comic-Con 2016. We have a fantastic interview lined up for you. Enjoy. Welcome to Real Nerds Podcast at Denver Comic-Con 2016. Before the show, our Sunday ritual with the one, the only, Mr. George's Jaunty. Welcome back. Thank you, sir. I appreciate it. We missed you last year. Yeah, there was some odd snafu, and things got crossed, and plans got remade, so... And you're, like, super popular, and, you know... Uh, No, not that. Yeah, it's definitely that. And it, it was, you know, it's our tradition, and we were so bummed that you weren't here, and we cried, and consult each other through our tears and hugs oh i'm sure and then we and then yeah. we stole your name badge because <laughs> yeah. they still had a table for you and we ran it all over the convention taking and you, stupid you pictures commiserated by going to the adult gentleman's club later on and yes <laughs> having a drink on me yeah. we, we made it yeah. rain ma'am, ma'am, ma'am would you would you please dance in the in the lap of this name badge <laughs> yeah. is, is that what it is the forgotten lap rain? <laughs> i'm not cool enough or i don't go there so i don't know i think that would be called making a stain if they were doing it on your lap oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you been, sir? I'm good. I'm good, thankfully. You know, when you're a freelance artist, if you're working, you've got nothing to complain about. So yeah, I've been working. And you know, the last time we talked to you, um, since years past, you've been doing some pretty high-profile stuff. I have, I'm still, as I like to say, sucking the teat of Joss Wheaton. Nice. I'm still there. Uh, I've moved over from Buffy onto Serenity. Uh, Firefly. So, yeah, it's been really great. Yeah. yeah. They asked if I wanted to go over, and I said, sure, yeah. I did two two seasons of Buffy, which was great, and I loved it. But, you know, you kind of say, all right, well, I'm looking for a little something else. And they're like, well, we are going to be doing some more Firefly if you're interested. And I couldn't wait to jump on that. So, And it's a totally different uh, style that you need to adapt for it, correct? It's, uh, if there is any style at all, I think it's more aesthetic. Because a lot of what I find I'm doing is just making things darker. Because if you look at the TV show, it's very dark. Mm-hmm. Not in tone, necessarily, but in, in look. Like, there are no bright lights, per se. Unless they're on a planet, of course, and it's very well lit. But essentially, when you're on the ship or something like that, it is very dark in tone. So I've tried to keep that theme going with what I do. Um, I wouldn't say I've changed my style or done anything different, necessarily. But just keeping in mind that... There's maybe more uh, or less of a light source is maybe a good way of putting it. So is that a change your approach to drawing drawing likenesses then when the light source is different? Uh, You would think. Um, But no, the first go around, which was Leaves on the Wind, and it since there's a lot less of Firefly than there is of Buffy, I had a lot less time to actually acclimate myself to the the characters. And it wasn't until the sixth issue, the last issue, that I thought, oh, I finally got it. I'm getting it. <laughs> and, of course, it was over. So this time around, which there's going to be a new series coming in October, I feel a little more comfortable with what I'm doing because I sort of have that practice run all laid out of me. And now I'm going for the actual marathon. Can you share anything about what's coming up? Uh, well, it's going to be uh, a new New six-issue series. Joss is very picky about uh, Star, Star Fury, uh, Firefly, uh, that he, he doesn't necessarily want it to come out every month. Mm-hmm. When there's a good story to tell, then that's something we can do. 
And thankfully, uh, this will probably be the quickest turnaround for Firefly. We had one last year, and then there'll be one this year. Um, so it's a very, it's a very exclusive thing. But in that exclusivity, we are getting a lot more than we used to. And it comes out in October. It's called No Power in the Verse. It'll be another six issues. It'll be loosely following the Leaves on the Wind uh, series as well. So the story, such as it is, sort of continues on into the book. But you don't necessarily, necessarily have to have read Leaves on the Wind in order to enjoy No Power in the Verse. Are you surprised how... I mean, I, I, Joss Whedon, obviously, and the following he has, but Serenity and Firefly seemed so short in yeah. the, the scheme of things. <laughs> in everything, really. <laughs> but they they have such a following, and people love it so much. Uh, why do you think that is? You know, that's a question, and having done this for a few years now, I get I get asked, and not necessarily me. I, I When I do shows, sometimes I hang out with some of the actors, and they get asked that, and everybody comes up blank. You know, it's almost... It's almost a question that you ask that you have to actually ask the person asking the question the question of, well, if that's the case, why weren't you there at the beginning? You know, if all mm -hmm. of these people were so into it, it would have never gotten canceled. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just something that I guess found its way and it's, it's re reached at this point, I guess, 10 years later, some Ten sort years, of, a, you know, geez. myth status. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I think hindsight, people always feel that, oh, Something that has gone before was so good and they should have known better and, you know, all of that. When, of course, at the time, it was all politics. You know, mm -hmm. it, it was an expensive show to produce. Fox really wasn't interested in sci-fi shows at that time. And they were just looking ways to trim the fat. And, you know, Firefly was a very big steak of meat that they could trim the fat of. It was it was a terrible shame though because I can tell you that I didn't I didn't watch it because I was over watching Star Trek Enterprise and, <laughs> and suffering every single week and no one told me it was there. If anyone had said, "Hey, there's another sci-fi show that you could watch that's way way better," I would have I would have changed immediately. And even but. I guess more to that, it's funny how at that time what was going on and yeah. I think why a lot of people missed it was American Idol was really in full swing and that was the oh. year that Clay Aikens and Ruben Studdard were sort of oh. going head to head yeah. so Firefly was coming out around that time so anybody oh, thinking going well what was I doing around that time because they were probably we can watching make, that we can make millions and millions of dollars with no actual overhead <laughs> putting just a couple dudes on the, on the exactly. TV let them sing and why people we, vote why would we actually put budget into making a good show exactly yeah. no, that makes sense that makes so, a lot of sense yeah and I think part of it, too, is the, the characters, I think, resonate so much. Mm. And what I think is amazing about Joss and his team that works with him is, yeah, it's a sci-fi show. And, you know, Buffy's a supernatural show. Angel is a supernatural show. But what happens when you strip all that away? You're left with amazing characters, I think, mm -hmm. that everybody can identify with. And I think that's what's amazing about his universe. Mm -hmm. Is there somebody in every show that you can immediately identify with. Yeah. Buffy, for me, it's Xander because, yeah. oh, you know, yeah. it's the insecurity and being funny. Yeah. Because yeah, you're also an idiot. <laughs> hey! <laughs> well, no, that's what Joss said. Too, that he, he's Xander, you know, yeah. in that whole oh, yeah. outlook that was him, the archetype of who he was. Yeah, so. He's, the, he's the, sort of the everyman. You know? Yeah. That's yeah. Well, and the guy, you know, who was always... Because he said, I didn't have a great time in high school. You know, I was the guy yeah. picked on. I was the guy... You know, I asked a girl out, and she would turn me down straight out. You know, he was yeah. that guy, and I can only assume he took his pain and made it yeah. into a, uh, an empire. Yeah. You know, and for, like, you know, Serenity, like, Wash, like, I identify with because uh -huh. he's just, you know, the fun-loving guy. And I think, you know, when they 
spoilers, 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 three, two, one. When, when they kill him, uh, you know, it, I think that's what resonates with fans, too, is yeah. because you're taking someone beloved and just like, well, bye. Yeah. And I yeah. remember Josh saying, because I, I I've been with him a couple times when anybody ever asks, that he was always like, well, I, want, I did that because I wanted you to know that this was real, that the movie wasn't just... Uh, byproduct of something we we could do yeah. this movie was going to resonate with you regardless and killing a character it's killing two characters in that case yeah. was going to leave its mark and that's what he wanted to do and as much as we argue oh you should have never killed wash here we are still talking about wash being dead yeah. years yeah. and years later so you know he probably had a good point well, we're, we're all waiting for you to draw uh, Serenity, the, the search for Wash. <laughs> the search for Wash. Where they bring him back. Where he's like in uh, the Wrath of Khan. He got yeah. shot out of a, <laughs> yeah. of a tomb. Yeah. And he's on like a weird Genesis planet. He's on a Genesis planet yeah. and he's been recreated. It's Whedon. He could do it. <laughs> let, let, let's not do that one. I, I agree. I agree. Uh, Joe, oh, Christopher Lloyd could show up as a Klingon. No. No. <laughs> or as Doc Brown, one of the yeah. two. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, in a DeLorean? Yeah, he it's could have. Sure. Go back in time and save Wash. Yeah, that's it. Or go ahead in time and save Wash. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm from 1985. Yeah. So you've also been doing some superhero stuff. Yeah. I was on Batwoman for a while. Uh, I would have been on longer had they not canceled it. Uh, but I think they were at the time making room for the whole rebirth thing. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot. There were like 15 or so titles that got canceled. So it wasn't that Batwoman was bad or they just didn't have the sales or, or whatever. They really wanted to make room for what was to come. And unfortunately, Batwoman was among those. And I think Batwoman is probably one of the most unique uh, comics in the Bat universe. Yeah, yeah. Because she's a different character, you know. Uh, she is. It's a weird way that she's part of the Bat family, but sort of the black sheep of the black of the Bat family. Exactly. And so, how does your style lend to a superhero book opposed to a likeness book? <laughs> You know, I can appreciate the whole style thing, but all this this talk of style, and I, I hear that a lot with people asking me, what's your style? What's your influence? How do you do this? I, You know, as an artist, I just strive to be good. I strive to do, when I'm working on a page, I strive to make that the best page. I don't necessarily think in style, but I, I agree with you. I'm I'm prolific enough that I can probably recognize most artists just by, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a couple of panels or, or what they've done. Because of their style. And my whole career, I never thought I had a style. I can tell you who were my influences. I can tell you who I've been swiping. Sure. <laughs> but I've never felt I had a style. So it's always strange when people say, well, yeah, when you were on Buffy, you did it in this kind of a style. So now that you're on Firefly, are you doing it in more of a this style? And I'm thinking, no, I'm just trying to make it good. You know, whatever the style good is, that's the style I'm trying to do. Is creating Gotham fun, though? That creating Gotham was really fun. Uh, in that case, okay, all right. Well, maybe then that's an answer maybe to I'm your a, question. Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a horrible, horrible question no, no, asker. No, no. Maybe that's a good answer to your question because I'm thinking I wasn't necessarily trying to establish a style for the book, but I was trying to establish a tone for the book. And in reading some of the previous Batwomen. Batwoman books. Um, I was really looking at it, and I thought, yeah, Gotham really is a character in this world of hers, because of course she is in Gotham and very much like Batman. She kind of jumps around, and I think she's minus the whole Batmobile and the Batarang and the Batplane and all that. So I kept her, or I understood her to be on a very street level with Gotham, and I thought, well, that's interesting because I, Gotham has such a unique architecture. I tried to make Gotham more a part 
of Batwoman in terms of a character. So whenever you see her outside, in, in her Batwoman persona, funny enough, when it was just, um, oh, I can't remember her name now, her cat uh, or what was her name? Oh, my God. Oh, man. It's too early it's in the morning. It's too early in the morning. That's bad. So when she's in her real persona, I kept Gotham being very average, like you would see it anywhere. But when she's in her Batwoman persona, I really incorporated the architecture of Anton first. And a lot of... DC actually does have a, a uh, mock-up of what Gotham City and some of the important buildings would look like. So I really tried to incorporate that unique architecture in what I was doing. So if there is a style, it's probably the look of Gotham was what I was trying to go for and set a tone to it. When you work for DC or you work for Dark Horse, is there a different... Um, I don't know. So you turn in your pages for Serenity, and do they have to be okayed by Joss, then the editor, <laughs> then the writer, and then Dark Horse? They. And, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. No, no, they used to, but uh, as we were grooving on Buffy... Um, I had to turn it right. I had to turn it in, and then it had to go through a, a sort of a ring around the rosy pr uh, process. And then after a while, Joss, you know, as we were talking, I was like, well, it was something in particular, like, all right, we'll kind of design this and make sure it kind of looks like this, and then we'll go with it. And I'm like, all right, well, do you want me to send you a couple sketches so that we know where we're going? He's like, no, you know what you're doing. At this point, you and I, we have a good relationship. Just go ahead and do it. I trust you. And from there, I never heard and never had another edit. Again, wow. uh, I can only assume that Joss said, okay, this guy knows the groove, he knows the tone, and I don't necessarily have to micromanage him. So I pretty much just kept with my editor, who, again, I think an editor should be very much a, a ringleader, but also a cheerleader. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, my editors have been great cheerleaders because they're saying, yes, that's it, that's great, this is a definitely the tone, this is what we're, we're set out to do, you definitely know what you're doing. So I haven't had much in the way of editing as that. And on the Bat books, then, do you have to go through the Bat editors and then the Batman itself and then DC? <laughs> because they have to kind of tie together in certain ways. Well, they do. And that, again, is an editor's job. And there's this, usually a senior editor, there's the, the book editor, and then an assistant editor. And more often than not, I think the group, that are doing the books or working with an assistant editor or if they happen to be very friendly with the editor the uh, editor editor they're probably talking with them so it's the process that the editor has to um, be the uh, goalie for all of the other DC stuff so the talent me or the writer whomever all we really have to do is go through maybe one or two people mm. at most because all of that stuff and that's an editor's job should be handled at that part of the of the art process or the creative process. I guess in my head I always picture like the editor's office like he'll have, you know, Batwoman, Batgirl, Batman like yeah. at the top and have yarns connecting them all <laughs> and he needs to make sure they're all consistent and uh, well in a way, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to any of the offices I haven't. and seen some of the yeah, some of their offices they do have like as uh, copies of books that are maybe, you know, cuz usually it's good to work three or four months in advance. So mm -hmm. if there's anything that happens, you'll be prepared for it emergency-wise. And they'll have a lot of the copies of books up on the wall, maybe photostats. And in different stages of completion, maybe there's just pencils. Some have inks and some maybe they have the covers and they're colored and all that. And they do have to make sure they have all of their ducks in a row because, right, in a, in a very loose way, all the books relate to each other. And if something happens in one book and it's very cataclysmic, 
theoretically it'll happen in, in the other books or be, there'll be the aftermath of that. So yes, an editor's job has to be, the, like I say, the ringleader. He has to make sure the circus is performing well when there are three separate rings going on and people are watching different things. So have you ever, let's say, finished drawing a book and it's you know three or four months out mm -hmm. and then they call you and say, hey, we decided to make this change in this book so we need to change what's happened in your book so I yeah. need you to redo these pages. Yeah, oh, recently I did a... Uh, I did a Superman fill-in, and it was the, I can't remember the number, I, uh, I can't even remember the Superman title now, but... <laughs> DC doesn't know what number it is either, so... <laughs> this was before Rebirth and all of that, and it was when Superman, he he'd lost his suit and he was just wearing the shirt yeah. and, and jeans, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there was this black mass of something going on, and there was one panel that was changed as, at time of printing, it was changed because that storyline was going on through all the other super titles as well and i guess at that point something had changed and the panel that i had drawn would no longer be appropriate so they sort of doctored it up so yeah that happens often often and if you're doing a fill-in even more so there's it's it would be a very sad thing to be prideful about your work if you're doing a fill-in because just by its very nature you're there to fill in mm -hmm. you're not there to set the tone of the genre you're there to help out something that's already been established. So I try to leave fill-ins as best I can, do what I do, and if something changes, you know, you can't take it personally and say, oh, they infringed upon my artwork like, <laughs> like they did with Kirby and Superman's faces back in the you know, <laughs> 70s. Oh, I'll never work for them again. You can't think like that, you know, because it's not personal. So Are did, wait, did they ask you to redo the panel, or did they go in and Photoshop out whatever was No, they, they actually redid the panel. It's... it's it's the same idea on the sh on the page. Yeah, it's just drawn a little differently. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, yeah. 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 It's, cool. it's not so drastic that yeah. there are different characters. It's just drawn a little. But it's different. not like they went in and whited it out and was like, ah, no, we'll, no, no, we'll no. fix George's art. Like, <laughs> oh, we can... are filling issues harder to do than doing a monthly book? Um, I don't know if hard is necessarily the word, but it is. It is. A task because you are get, again you are coming in to something that's already been established. They've already got their own groove going, and you have to kind of follow into what they're doing in terms of tone. And again, I, a lot of I can I can understand where a lot of artists have an ego about what they do because they they're you know they're artists and mm -hmm. they, they love their art and they want it to be preserved. But it's something where if you're brought in, you're you're a you're a cog in the wheel. You know this is or a spoke in the wheel or whatever that metaphor is. <laughs> And you're there to make sure that wheel keeps turning or the machine keeps mm. going. And to be prideful about something or other or, or not getting your just dessert or whatever, I don't think that's, that's certainly something you shouldn't be doing if that's what you want. Fill-ins are probably not your skill. Uh, but, yeah, you, you sort of have to get caught up real quick, make sure everything looks the same as it did in the last issue, and then you, you kind of leave. So it is, it's, it's thankless to an extent. <laughs> But again, you're you're being paid for a job, and yeah. I was paid, so I don't <laughs> feel bad at all about what was done or what was done to me. And you have to shut out the the fans because I know there's always that big thing on fans where they get used to one artist, and then someone comes in for one issue and like, oh, this is yeah. th <laughs> no, there's room. We don't have to book. read that issue yeah. because it's a fill-in. <laughs> yeah. I feel the same way. Yeah, no, I love a, a good groove when an artist mm -hmm. and writer and creative team are on a process. Uh, usually, when it's a fill-in. Again, the editor should know enough to think of how best can I not disrupt the general flow. So let me hire an artist who kind of 
fits in with our general flow instead of something so way out and wacky that people will really see it as something different. Supposedly, the, the idea of a fill-in is to have it be done seamless, where in theory, people won't notice the difference. How many issues in a row do you need before you need a fill-in artist? Because do they usually come in uh, as you're getting behind or to give you a break? Usually, that's a, and that's a very good question, because it's something, again, like I said before, they like to be at least three months in ad- ahead in advance in case there are any emergencies, like there's going to be a fill-in or something like that. If it's a new title or they know you're coming on to a title, depending on how early on they bring you, I think will then necessitate when a fill-in might be necessary. Some artists, and I think nowadays it's, it's a lot less because most comic books nowadays are done in terms of arcs. So a lot of uh, creative teams figure we'll do a four-issue arc, the fifth issue will be a fill-in, and then you'll do the next four or five issue arc. So they kind of know where a fill-in could potentially go if that could be the case. If the artist is, say, uh, Eduardo Ruscio, he can do every issue every month and even maybe a couple of more books after that, they probably don't worry. Now, hypothetically, let's say if he broke his arm, he can't draw for a couple of months. Depending on how far in advance he is, they could say, all right, well, if, his, if he's good, he's, he only needs a month out, we're still four months ahead. By the time he does get back into it, we won't still need a fill-in, so he can keep going as if nothing ever happened. But if a guy, probably like me, takes about five weeks to do a four-week book, uh, they probably think, okay, well, we'll probably need a fill-in here. Or, barring any unforeseen tragedies, Georges will be able to do this much, and then we can fill in at this junction. Is that how, uh, when, when you guys started Buffy, obviously Paul Lee did the fifth issue. Mm-hmm. Is that what the plan was there? That, that okay, let's give George's four issues, see how he's working, and we'll plan to have the fifth one be a fill-in. So yeah. that way there's some flexibility as we start the book? That was more of an editorial decision because I, the book hadn't come out yet by the time I was working. And we knew that the first arc was going to be four issues. Right. There was going to be a single issue. And then there was going to be another arc, which was the Faith arc. Right. Um, I could have done the fifth issue and nothing would have been disrupted. But the uh, editor, and again, these are editors' decisions and you sort of have... To, the editor is the captain of the ship, really. You have to respect... You can voice your disinterest. I always like to think of Riker and Picard in this case, <laughs> where you, know, you can voice your, your opinion about something and say, Captain, I don't believe this is a good thing to do. And the captain should be good enough to listen to you and what you do and think, okay, I've heard you, number one. I'm still going to go this route. I could have done that single issue, but then there was fear that there might have needed a fill-in in the next arc, which they really didn't want to do. And so we sort of reasoned, how about we just have the fill-in? It'll give us an extra month buffer. Right. And then after you're done with what you're doing, you know, we can keep going on to the fill-ins or to the other arcs. So that's where they sort of had me. They thought, you're, you're much better or we'd much more prefer you in a continuous arc series and let those single issues be those fill-ins whether or not they're needed. Yeah. So that's kind of what it became. Okay. So if you'll notice, I, I don't think I ever did a single issue fill-in type of a thing. It was all the arc stuff yeah. that I handled. How many hours uh, do you think it takes you to do one page? That's a good question, and a question I don't think that can properly be answered, <laughs> only because, you know, art is subjective. It's, mm-hmm. It might take somebody an hour to do a page. It might take somebody 10 hours to do a page. The... <laughs> 
equalizer there is that I'm getting paid the same amount of money whether I do it for two hours or I put out a page in eight hours. Mm. And anybody doing their work basically has the same premise. So, and depending on what's on the page would dictate just how much longer. If it's just a, a splash page of Buffy looking surprised because she just caught Angel and Spike together in bed, that's probably not going to take too long. I want to see that. Now, if you turn the page and the next page is Angel and Spike in bed with all of these hordes of demons jumping on, getting ready to trample them, that might take itself. a little longer. Yeah. So, you know, it's really what's the context of the page that also helps to say how long it'll take. But that's you sort of, if you're, if you're a working artist and you've been working long enough, you kind of think to yourself, I don't need as much time on page one. I'm going to need a lot of time on page two and three. So the time I would have allotted for page one, I'm going to give a lot of that time to two and three so that overall, one, two, and three have taken me the same amount of time mm. to do. Is it harder to draw huge action pages because of the dynamic of it, or is it harder to draw three or four straight pages of people talking and keep people interested in the art when nothing's really going on? On I think they, they both have their appeal, and yeah, it is the skill of the artist to really make both, both sides of that very interesting, because you can have a big... I've seen a lot of double page, and God help me, back when Image first started. <laughs> you know, basically their edict was the first page was a splash page, the next two and three pages... Two pages two and three were double splash pages, and then they'd kind of go into their story. And so many of those double splash pages were just, they were so unnecessary. Yeah. You looked at it going, obviously, you're just filling in two pages. I think 90s image was unnecessary, but that's just me. <laughs> <laughs> so I am I'm a very old school, I'm such a taskmaster, when I, and maybe this is because I'm getting old in the business, but I'm such a taskmaster when it comes to double page spreads, like you said of action or whatever it turns out to be or whatever's worthy of a double page spread. I think it should be relevant. Make it re don't just say I don't know, I just wanted to draw a big street scene and somebody walking down. Don't just do it for the sake of what you wanted to do. Do it for the sake of the story. If that's you know, maybe if you wanted and I'm totally cool with doing a street scene with let's say Buffy walking down the street three o'clock in the morning you're like, okay, well, honestly, we could have done that in one page, or we could have even done that in one panel. But if you're telling me, no, this is the end of the book, Buffy just found out that her father died, and she is now walking down this street, the weight of the world is on her, I can then justify those two pages and say, okay, the weight of those two pages is really what I'm drawing here, not necessarily the double-page spread. So in that case, I think that takes a lot of thought, just as a couple of people talking four pages, four, three or four pages, there too, I think then you become uh, a director in very much a film is done where you have those scenes in every movie where characters are just talking to one another. If they're just sitting there and it's a back and forth, yeah, that's boring. If the writer hasn't written anything interesting, like saying while they're doing this, they're actually trying to assemble this big Lego land that they bought <laughs> and you can see the pieces slowly coming together, there, and I'm, I, you know, I used to dabble in acting, and, and I took acting in college and, and all that. So what stuck with me with that was that even when you're not doing anything or when the characters are just talking, have them do something, whether it's getting coffee or making their bed or building you know, a puzzle or something. 
even if it's not written in the script, I think if you are a storyteller in this case, not necessarily an artist, but if you're a good storyteller, you should make even those two or three pages of just talking interesting, just as that splash page should be just as interesting. And when you get a story from a writer and they say panel one, panel two, do they tell you mm -hmm. this panel is a rectangle, this one's that, or is that up to you to decide? Sometimes because, and this is more getting into the education of how to tell a story, but yeah, they, certain panel designs will give you a certain effect. You know, if you put panels vertically, that usually says the, the action is going a little quicker. If you do them horizontally, that usually suggests the story is going a little slower. And I, I use this in very broad terms because there can be a different rule for everything. But generally, that's how things are done. So if you are laying out a panel, you should be conscious of how fast the story is going, how much information is in that scene or whatever is going on, and what is the desired effect. Because I could, you know, and Will Eisner was, was incredible at this, I can give you, all right, well, we'll take a great story and give you an example, The Watchmen. Mm -hmm. Watchmen, essentially, if you go look at it, is nine-panel nine grids. Yeah. And that was done intentionally because they wanted to establish a tone. So if you get a rhythm, maybe rhythm is a better word, if you get a rhythm of nine panels, that's like a beat that keeps going like that. And if they're all the same size, that beat feels continuous. And all of a sudden, when you're doing three, six, and then the bottom three panels are maybe one big panel, yeah. you're going bum, bum, bum. You know, you're getting that effect of something different, and that should be intentional on the artist's part. So switching up panels, I feel, you know, unless the writer really does have a, a vision for something, switching up panels like that should be done intentionally and should be handled by the artist because that's where your storytelling skills really come to flourishing. And it, it must be hard, too, because you, you, I mean, you alluded to it. When you draw somebody, you have to take into account that there's going to be a word balloon and dialogue in this scene. And so if it's very dialogue heavy and then you just have a head there, to me, that seems really difficult to make the art interesting in that part. Which is, is funny. I, I'm friends with Mark Brooks, and he's such a great guy. And I love his artwork. Bless you. And I, every, he, the, what kills me about Mark is that he draws a panel, and he fills in the whole panel. And not, not always the case, but so more often than not, Mark seems to do that. And I've talked to him ad nauseum, like, Mark, you know they have to put words on this, right? <laughs> He's like, well, yeah, they can cover the body and do that. But as an artist, you should leave at least 30% of space for, you know, words. Mm -hmm. And not that he is by any means alone in that sense. I see so many artists do that. But, and, and I, I do think Mark is a really good artist, but I think part of the storytelling process is leaving room for the words because comics are a marriage of pictures and words that's just what they are if there are no words on that particular page go crazy fill in everything you want but if there is dialogue you must as an artist be cognizant of that because once it's printed at the end of the day what's more important is what's being said and they're going to cover the artwork where you might have thought I put in so much time, and they just covered it up with a word balloon. What the hell? <laughs> and when you're drawing, too, to me, it seems like drawing clothes would be really hard mm. to make them look good. Yeah. Do you have magazines of just, uh, like, style magazine, I guess? I do. I used to. Nowadays, of course, you have Google. So oh, you can so <laughs> kind of Google it and print it out if you want. But, yeah, I used to get pretty, magazines. Pretty girl. Handsome boy. <laughs> exactly. 
I used to get magazines all over, just and magazines of things that I liked. So, and funny you say that. When I started on Buffy, um, I was very. I'm, I'm so much of a completist. I'm very into everything. Yeah. What What is Buffy? Where does she shop? What does she like to eat? What does she wear? You know, where does she like to shop and all that? And I did. I asked Joss at one point. I'm like, all right, Joss. Obviously, Buffy doesn't have a costume. She's not a superhero in that sense. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what kind of clothes does she like? And he's like, oh, I'm glad you asked this. If Buffy, because it's almost as if he had the answer ready, <laughs> but nobody ever asked him. It's like if Buffy were to go shopping, she would shop at a, at a oh, God, now I've forgotten the store. <laughs> oh, no. oh, oh, Anthropology. There's a store called Anthropology. That's where she would shop. And I was like, okay. So what I did, I just started getting catalogs from Anthropology. And basically, being the connoisseur uh, matchmaker that I am, I started putting <laughs> together suits and outfits and uniforms and <laughs> all this style of dress, you know. And some, some other characters have a theme. Um, whereas Willow never had a costume. Her theme, because she's a redhead, I noticed in the TV show, they dressed her in a lot of greens and browns and colors that accentuated her red hair. And since she was a, a witch, she was a very earthly child. So they did a lot of uh, floral patterns. If you go back and look, mm. they did a lot of floral patterns on what she wore. So I tried to keep that going in the Buffy book as well. So it's all these subtleties. Again, as an artist, I think it's your charge to really see that and bring that out to the reader. And I think that's what makes you so great as an artist, <laughs> like your little subtleties. Because to me, your Buffy looks like Buffy I picture on the show. And... <laughs> You know, I that helps you read the book, yeah. you know, and accept the book. Totally. For... I was I know I was never great at character. I mean, I'm no Jack Davis or or, you know, anybody like that who just can do faces and caricatures and just nail it like nobody's business. But I am conscious of mannerisms and we all have mannerisms. Like, let's say uh, let's say you take off your glasses and you see somebody walking down the street. You may not be able to see them, but you know because of their gaunt or the way they're walking, you're, oh, that's Jim. I know, I'd see, I know him anywhere. Yeah. Not because you can see him, but you know his mannerisms, the way he moves or the way he stands or you know, the way he does something in, in particular to him. Right. And that's what I've tried to stay conscious of with certainly these licensed characters because everybody, like you said, everybody knows what they look like, who they are, what they do, what they like, what they eat, where they go to the bathroom, all of that stuff. And I have to be conscious of that. And hopefully, if I'm good, I can represent that, not necessarily in likeness, but in mannerism. And I think you do. I, I Like the facial expressions, you know, you can pick out anywhere. Uh, uh, your facial expressions on Buffy it reminds me of Sarah Michelle Gellar. And- <laughs> yeah, no, I, was, I hung out with Nick Brandon. We're friends. At one, and we, I just started talking about, you know, drawing you is very interesting. And it's so surreal to be sitting with mm-hmm. you, knowing that there are times I'll spend hours with your picture next to me <laughs> because I have to do your likeness. And, I, and a lot of the show that I watch, I, re, I tried, again, get the mannerisms down. And Xander is a character who speaks with his hands. A lot of it is this, and he points a lot and does mm. a lot of things. And, and it's funny, Nikki kind of looked at me and go, yeah, I do that, really. And you pick that up? And you're doing that in the comic book? And I'm like, yeah, well, as much as I can, because obviously comics don't move. But right. that's, yeah, I try to keep your mannerism. And he seemed almost as a sense of pride that, cool, something I did that was mine. Because he's like, yeah, that was me, mm-hmm. you know, doing that. That wasn't in the script. That was me. Uh, he felt a sense of pride that, wow, that actually carries off and somebody's following suit. And is it nervous meeting someone you've drawn so many times? Who is it nervous? Was I ever nervous about meeting anybody? <laughs> if I was ever nervous about meeting any of the actors, it was the really pretty girls. 
that, of course, you, you develop an affinity for. Mm-hmm. I remember meeting Morena Baccarin the fir- for the first time. I remember talking to Joss about her when we first met. And I said, Joss, I just want to tell you, before we even started the book, I watched Firefly, and I was still doing Buffy at this mm-hmm. time. And I'm like, that girl, Anara, oh, my God, that is my wife. And I, <laughs> we're going to be married at some point. I don't know where you found her, but thank you for finding her for me. <laughs> and he's like, oh, that's so funny you say that. I had dinner with her the other night and her boyfriend. Oh. <laughs> All right, thanks. But can he <laughs> draw? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. I was, but, it's, yeah, it's one of those things. I don't think I've ever really felt that way. I also felt that way with uh, Dollhouse. Uh, first time I met Miracle Laurie, who was one of the uh, uh, characters, one of the, I guess, the lesser characters in the, in the story. This woman is gorgeous. She's yeah. just gorgeous, and she's a full-figured girl, which I love. And I, I met her, and we happened to be on the elevator together, and she didn't know me at that, but we were going to the same place, so we were together. And it's one of those things where you keep, it's almost like somebody farted. <laughs> and you keep quiet because you're looking around. And I couldn't say anything to this girl to save my life, but I just could not stop staring at her. Yeah. So thankfully, she never looked over and go, what the hell are you looking at? Did I fart or something? <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So what's next for you after Serenity? Uh, well, the new Serenity comes out in October. I'm uh, four issues in. Uh, it's another six issues. Uh, after that, I don't know. There's some stuff on the horizon that I'm not able to talk about right now, but... Sure. Hopefully, I will be revisiting some old characters that I drew back in the day. Cool. Very cool. Hey, uh, you know, it's been, it's been two years since we last really mm-hmm. got a chance to talk to you. Um, and you've, you've moved back into D.C. and working with, you know, yes. some of the big two a lot more. Are you seeing any, any trends or changes in the industry from, from when you worked with them before? Or even just, like, ways that the industry is starting to, to shift? Yeah, not even at D.C. One of the biggest trends I see, I mean, I, I go get comics every Wednesday. I'm, yeah. I'm, I know it's almost a bad word to say, but I actually collect and love comics right. <laughs> as I do comics. More and more comic artists well, I find. You're an artist really, who still yeah. likes to read comics. More and more I don't artists know who you are. You I meet don't away. like yeah. comics. Yeah, they, right. they don't read comics. They're, they're not really into it. Yeah. But I've noticed on the rack the influx of independent titles, mm. creator own titles. While I won't say it, it takes over the Marvel DC Dark Horse. It's definitely at a 40-60% ratio now hmm. of creator-owned titles versus established titles that we all know. So that, to me, has been the biggest change in the last 10 years, for sure, is that the independent or the creator-owned book has now become a lot more accessible, a lot more acceptable, and it seems to be the way a lot more people are going these days. Interesting. Are, you, are, are there a lot of people that you're friends with in the, in the industry who are making that shift? Uh, oh, yeah. It, well, it seems now in the industry, it's almost a cliche to go, you know, hey, how you doing? What you working on? Well, what's your, uh, what's your creator-owned book? When are you doing a creator-owned book? And, and I get that asked that all the time. Yeah. Well, what's your creator-owned book? When are you doing it? When's it coming out? You're kind of like, well, yeah, maybe one day, but I'm, I'm still just doing this, which I'm very happy with. Yeah. Cool. And, cool. you know, you also designed uh, the Denver Comic-Con thing oh, yeah. this year. Yeah. Oh, that's right. And, I did. And that that's cool. Uh, yeah. James pointed out it was School of Rock, and uh, I've... Schoolhouse Rock. I'm yeah, sorry. Schoolhouse, Schoolhouse Rock. Rock. Yeah. That was a cool design. And, uh, and the people at the booth are like, oh, that's what it is. <laughs> so we educated people. <laughs> well, yeah, because it was you know, for education. Yeah. So you think yeah. the two kind of yeah. go together. No, and it does very well. Yeah, I'm, I'm a child of the 70s. So Schoolhouse yeah. Rock was my mind. Even today, I know all the songs yeah. because you had to watch it over and over <laughs> as a kid. 
So that idea, yeah, just kind of stuck with me when they asked me to do the cover for the program. And now performing the theme to Schoolhouse Rock. (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah, do you remember Conjunction Junction? Oh, I do, actually. (laughs) I'm ashamed to say I have it on my iPod. I have all that stuff (laughs) down there. You do not. Oh, that's funny. Cool. Well, Georges, thanks for stopping by. We know you got to get to your booth and, you know, set up and have fun. (laughs) And um, any parting words of wisdom for anybody? Uh, I I probably shouldn't say that here in Colorado, but <laughs> kids don't do drugs. Yes. Hey, even oh. in Colorado, don't do drugs. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. Which you... is funny about that, though. I I was talking to somebody who lives here, and yeah. again, because that's a fairly new phenomenon. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Medical marijuana is one thing, right? But now, just the accessibility yeah. of it in yeah. general is another. And we were talking about the politics and the the specifics of it all. And the one thing I just struck me is very interesting. That I didn't realize at the time, because, of course, I don't live here, was that it's a cash basis system. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And, of course, I'm going, well, wouldn't they make more money if they had credit cards? It's like, well, then it would be contraband. Because uh-huh. depending on where the credit card company is, it's only legal in certain states. If it crosses yeah. over that you're buying something, yeah. a substance, and it's in New Hampshire, they could be liable and, you know, said to be selling drugs in an illegal state. Yeah, yeah and uh, from being out of state, you can only have a certain amount. Like, you, if you live in Colorado, you can uh, have an ounce. If you're not in Colorado, it's a quarter of an ounce. Uh-huh. And uh, to, On a daily basis? Or yeah, what do you uh, to mean? purchase at a time. To purchase at a time. And to have so on possession. How much do you need to really get baked? I have no idea. I've uh, never me, done it. Me? Not very much, I would assume. because I, I, I don't, I don't do either. It. So, yeah, so, these, yeah, these yeah. are my questions. Yes. I, I do know... Uh, uh, one bag. The, I would need one bag of weed. Because that's where <laughs> you get a group of people and go, okay, I'm going to get an ounce, you get an ounce, you get an ounce. <laughs> yeah, we all get right. it and then we'll put it together, right? right. Yeah. Because we're not leaving the house tonight and i got to buttload of munchies right. so we are playing what world of warcraft would, all night i would just walk into the store and be like can i get one weed please i know I'd what like is one it? Can marijuana I, can i get that uh, something yeah. that yeah. looks like somebody my dog coughed it up or yeah. something yeah. an ounce is a lot like it's oh, a lot it? it's oh, okay. a lot well, i don't know. yeah i do yeah, yeah. Right. It, it's ounces a lot yeah. and but i i talking to uh, my other job talking to mm-hmm. Uh, owners, they make tons of money off the ATM machines right, because of people wow. have, to get, have cash, to get cash, and they charge something like five dollars there to get the cash. <laughs> and yeah, oh, that's wow. another way they make money. But it's pretty interesting. You have to like ring a doorbell at some of them before they let you in, and they have to show an ID, like a jewelry well, store. The ID, yeah. I understand. Yeah, oh, it's, yeah, it's 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 under lock and key pretty tightly, yeah. and you can only buy for yourself. You can't yes. obviously buy for yeah, somebody else. When you go, it's almost like alcohol. Exactly. Yeah. So when you go there, they they keep your name in a database. So anytime you do something wrong, and are you, they going to take away your marijuana privileges? <laughs> they, they do. <laughs> and, yeah, and uh, uh, me and my other job, I have the right to walk into any marijuana dispensary and pull their licenses for any reason. Really? So they're really, really the people that own them are very nice and are very adamant about following the rules and the regulations because they do. You're right; they treat it like alcohol. Yeah. Just like I can walk into any bar and pull their license for serving to underage people. Or interesting. Yeah, it, it's it's a really interesting uh, business side. Now, and, as in Amsterdam, can they branch out and make it part of the food and part of the drink? I don't know yeah, what they yeah, can they, do they, with yeah, all they of can, that. Yeah, they can cook it into yeah, stuff. They have they, they, they you can it buy it. Gummies yeah. and set of stuff. Yeah, they yeah, call yeah, them yeah. edibles. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I've seen gummies, brownies, cookies. Um, 
pasta in one of them. Wow. And it just sounds like awful awesome. to me because yeah. I, I think the smell of marijuana is awful. Yeah. Um, but, I've been smelling it here. Yeah, you know, I'm sure. Yeah, 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 everybody. But you know what? It's making a lot of money for the state. <laughs> it's making money. Yeah. And the taxes go to pay for education. And so, it goes for education. So in so, a weird way. In a weird way, it's. Well, yeah, I don't know moralistically how I feel about <laughs> that. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. Here's, what I'll, here's the two points that I'll give you as an outsider. One is that. Uh, I think it's great, and I voted for it because honestly, it shut everybody up. So mm-hmm. nobody talks about we like back in the day. It was like, oh, you got to legalize it, and there were all these annoying if they people. Just legalize, yeah. Bus, you know, yeah. you oh never hear anybody say anything about it now. Like it's not <laughs> even cool. Like nobody talks about marijuana anymore, right. well, except for right now, right? Mm-hmm. The other thing is, I wish every other state would legalize it so people would stop moving here. That would be really great. <laughs> I do. I have my hairdresser in Atlanta, Georgia. She was telling me, yeah, I can't wait to go on my vacation. I'm going to go visit my friend in L.A. And I know she kind of indulges yeah, every oh, now sure. and again in Atlanta. And I was like, oh, kind of jokingly going, oh, are you going to make a stop in Colorado before you go to uh, California? And she, I mean, straight face, she's like, hell yeah. We are spending two days in Colorado there. Oh, are you funny. kidding me? Yeah. That's half of why I'm going to the West Coast. <laughs> See, Colorado's beautiful, so, you know. Do it responsibly. <laughs> I uh, this one kid uh, the the other day. I uh, I pulled him over uh, because him and his friend were s- selling an airsoft AK forty seven in a oh, Safeway yeah. parking lot. Oh yeah, and uh, he was showing the guy how to charge it. Mm-hmm. So when someone walks by and sees someone charging a weapon in a parking lot, <laughs> That's cool. I, 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 I got uh, I got ten nine one one calls. Uh-huh. And so when wow. I get there. Um, we found out it was an airsoft, but at the time, you know, we're pulling them out, and mm-hmm. um, this kid was from Wyoming, and anytime someone, you pull someone over and there might be a weapon, I'm going to handcuff you and search sure. you because yeah. I don't want to die. You don't, yeah. You don't. And <laughs> so I'm searching his pocket, and in it feels like brass knuckles, and I said, hey, man, what is that? And he said, it's just my lighter. It's just my lighter. I said, okay. So I pulled it out, and it was just, he had like a marijuana thing <laughs> and I said I thought you said this is a lighter he's like it's marijuana I'm sorry I said it's legal man don't worry <laughs> relax relax he was right. terrified that I'm <laughs> not cuffing you for that yeah, believe like, it or not yeah. yeah where's your weapon that's all I right, care yeah. about I want to know where the AK-47 he's like, he's like, is it's an airsoft and, but yeah see people still aren't sure and uh, so here's my advice don't lie to me don't lie to cops don't lie and, to cops uh, but yeah it's, it's funny you'll have people say hey uh, where's the nearest dispensary or can you help me find the dispensary I'm from out of town yeah I mean I was in LA for a couple of years and that's where they just gotten the medical license mm-hmm. to yeah. do it so every shop funny enough there were more shops that said we will get you qualified yeah. to get marijuana or we'll, we'll give you, I don't know how they do it, but you have to have some sort of a, an ailment right. to qualify yeah. for Oh, it. my back hurts. And yeah. there were so many more shops that said we can do that to give you a prescription than there were shops that actually <laughs> dispensed it. Yeah. Because everyone's like, no, 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 you need something, we'll get it for you. Yeah. Does your back hurt, really? Or yeah. You suffer from sinuses? Oh, okay, we'll hit you up. <laughs> Yeah, and that's what it was like here, and it was obnoxious because everybody was talking about like, oh, I gotta, I gotta go get my my card and blah blah blah, and like you heard about it all the time. Yeah, yeah. I never hear about it anymore. <laughs> yeah, now you just need an ID and be yeah, over twenty one. Yeah. Put those people out of business, right? Exactly. Way quick. Like, yeah. Whatever. I mean, like, the, the only rule is you can't, you know, smoke it in public. Yeah, that's, still, still, yeah. So okay. that's really Which and you can't isn't drive. any different than like cigarettes, really. Right? But I, mean, a, you, I mean, you can't. You can smoke cigarettes. You can smoke on the streets. Yeah, so that's different. But like in, an, in indoors, you can't smoke cigarettes. You can't. But smoke could weed, you like, say at a restaurant in a smoking section? Could you well, smoke? We don't. It we don't have those. So place. I mean, yeah, yeah. no, you can't. You, you can't do anywhere in public. No. Um, now that doesn't mean people don't. Right. No. And sure, you sure. know, it's it's one of those things that. Eh, whatever. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah, it's not even worth it. Yeah, I mean, the politics are fascinating. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. still a very new phenomenon. It is. So I'm so interested in what the 
what the after effects are and, and what the, the long yeah. range effects are. Because it's also story. hard to prove if, because you can get a ticket for a DUI from smoking marijuana. Oh, really? But you have to be able to prove that they did it recently. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I don't how do know do how, that? unless yeah. their eyes are half closed and totally bloodshot <laughs> and they're driving super slow. It's really hard to prove and yeah. um, just be, just be responsible. I guess I don't, I don't agree with it. Um, I, I voted for it too, but I don't, I think right. it's stupid. And yeah. I'm with James just gets people to shut up about it. And, yeah. Um, and it yeah, goes the to only, schools. the only complaint I have is that it's really hard for me to find an affordable apartment these days. <laughs> like, that's the only, the only thing that's been really, that's where some of the money it. should be going to housing. Yeah. <laughs> I wish, man. Yeah. Totally. yeah. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks for stopping by, sir. Thank as you always. guys. As always, it's a pleasure. You guys are probably the best nerd podcast that I uh, do interviews for. Oh, you know? yes. Because it's always more than just the initial comics. I knew and, we and would get that. there. I knew we would get there. Well, because you know, we, we've talked to you so many times. Now I, can, I feel like I can ask you about like, the actual nuts and bolts of drawing right, because right. instead of, you draw Buffy, good. <laughs> and that's it's just fascinating yeah. to me those are the questions I've always wanted to know because yeah. it's also seems to me as an artist it'd be boring drawing like a chair mm-hmm. but you have to be able to draw it well and continue to draw it well yeah. and the motivation to do that is I mean you said it you want it to be good oddly enough I'm surprised they don't have classes like that for here yeah like, yeah, that'd actually be a great class sort of thing. Yeah, just people because I do get a lot of I have this 11 year old girl come up saying here would you look at my book and can you tell me what I can do and Again, I don't know how interested, and I know that we probably go way over on this, but you know, I think art is a developmental sort of thing. Mm-hmm. The way someone draws at five years old is different than the way they draw at 11, 17, 25. You know, the developmental part is very, it's a brain process. You're sure, you have those Mozart, Amadeus ones who can do it at five, who look like they're virtuosos, but essentially, it's a developmental thing, and the best you can do to teach kids to draw better is to make them more aware. And it's a very simple thing. It has nothing really to do with the art itself. Mm-hmm. It has everything to do with what they see. And you have to understand that a child mm-hmm. at a certain age sees a certain way different than the way you see it. And it is the teaching part to focus on that and hopefully point them in that direction of being more aware of what they're seeing, not necessarily how they draw it. Yeah, and I think that's important to tell people, too, is, you know, comic book art isn't just drawing Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to draw a building, a oh, street lamp, yeah. a car, I a mean, dog. You're, you're the, the creator of a world, and in that world, just like God did, you have to make trees, you make mm-hmm. mountains, make cars, make everything in there. That is your responsibility. Right. Because, there's, I mean, there's scenes, I mean, there's an issue you did where Buffy and Angel are having sex across universes (laughs) you have to be able to make Mm -hmm. the universes fit the characters fit in that perspective wise size wise Mm -hmm. and I think that's a lost art in and I'm not knocking anybody here but you have a lot of people that just sell prints and they just put oh oh, here's Spider Gwen right here Mm -hmm. okay cool you can draw a figure now draw me a dog being walked on a leash I don't know. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I think that's a lost art. In no, and that's comic the difference books. between uh, a nice pinup and actual storytelling. You know, are you doing something with what you're doing as opposed to just saying, here's a character I really like. Here's Spider Gwen. Isn't mm-hmm. she cute? And leaving it at that. Yeah, I think every good artist, even if you're doing a pinup, kind of in- internally tells a story to some degree. And I agree, and I think that's why it makes uh, your art so unique, is you're able to create worlds that suck you in. And uh, if I would 
advice, give anybody advice, I'd tell them to read mm. that book, not just because Angel and Buffy are having sex everywhere, but pay attention to the background yeah. and what's happening there because that's yeah. as important no, as yeah. the characters that are on screen. And that's the objective, you know, and I, I do it or I try to do it at least, but yeah, there are a great number of really good artists who also incorporate that. And even today, even though I've done this 20 years and I've been at it for so long, I still look at other artists and go, oh, that's cool, the way they did that. I should incorporate that in what I do. Yeah, and you know, uh, and I love pointing this out too, is uh, in your Serenity books, the backgrounds for those, because I think those are hard <laughs> yeah. when you're on the ship, but at the same time, you have to make it look good and yeah. not noticeable. Right. Because if you make it bad, then the, it, it looks, yeah, you know. The, the conscious thing about Serenity is that everybody knows the ship. If you love the show, the ship is the, the other character. Exactly. And everybody, while they might not know where this particular little light is, everybody knows where everything goes in the ship. If they're in the, in the, in the mess hall, if you were to look to your left, everybody knows that's the cockpit. Or if you were to look to your right in the back, that's where the engine room is. Or, you know, this is Mal's room or this mm -hmm. is Jane's room. Yeah. Everybody kind of knows the things and this is where they usually pilot the ship on the right side. Nobody ever really sits on the left side unless they're doing something else. So, yeah, as an artist, you have to be conscious of that if you want to get it right and you want to avoid the wrath of fans. <laughs> See, I think that should be a panel you should do here is yeah. as how to draw interesting um, perspectives, knowing where stuff is, uh -huh. making it look right. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, it's... I mean, it's cool doing, you know, oh, yeah, I draw likenesses, yeah. but And it's funny, even part. if you don't, because Firefly, again, is established, and yeah. that's something, I didn't make it, it was already there, I was just following suit. But if I were to do something like my own Firefly, here, this is my ship, and this is the way it is, it is, I think, as a good artist, you should charge yourself to say, let me give the science of what it is. Mm -hmm. If this is the cockpit, and you walk 10 feet back, this is where you're going to be, and make that consistent, because I guarantee you... If you're reading the book and you keep coming back month after month, you will start to pick that up going, hey, I thought there was a bathroom right over here. You know, I thought there was this over here. They're walking all the way over there. That doesn't look like it's in continuity to what I understand. And that's so funny you say that because in the Buffy books, when they were in their hangout, like you start recognizing <laughs> yeah. like the chairs, the, yeah. the bookshelves. Oh, yeah. And subconsciously, you just expect that to be there. And I don't know if it's my brain telling myself that, oh, that's where that should be. Yeah. And, uh, and I think that's as important as drawing the characters. <laughs> no, it's a thing. And it's a very, it's a human thing. Because mm -hmm. if you go over to a friend's house, you know, you've been over at his place. And then you go maybe a month later, as soon as you walk in and the shelf is moved, you're like, Hey, you moved the shelf. What happened? Mm -hmm. You know, it's that familiarity that we develop, which is, again, the same premise goes into art. That familiarity is there that we subconsciously have at a certain thing. Yeah, and if it's something that, you know, the, the Justice League Society, their, you know, command center, mm -hmm. people after a while, it's not just a bunch of computers. It's a series of computers laid out a certain way. If you were to be on the bridge of the Enterprise, you may not know every little thing, but you'd really know where people sit, where those chairs are, where the screen is, and where the turbo lifts are. You know, right. those yeah. little things you do keep in your head. And I always yeah. feel like a dork when I'm reading, like, a Buffy book, and uh, I see her hairstyle one way, and then yeah. the, the next issue, it's different. I'm like, oh, they changed her hair. <laughs> <laughs> I'm con and I'm conscious of that, and I'll only do it if I know there's been... A certain amount of time mm -hmm. between scenes. If it's the same scene going and going, maybe we haven't seen Buffy in two issues, but when we come back to her, we come back to her right when we left her, it would be irresponsible of me to have changed her hair. So I'm very conscious of, 
is this a good place where they could change clothes, <laughs> where they can change their hair? Because, of course, that's what women, and I'm, I'm not reducing women to a stereotype, but women like to do that yeah. sort of thing. Ask any woman, and oh, yeah, I love, if I have the time, I'd like to do something with my hair. And I tried to incorporate that in the, it especially the Buffy stuff. And it's a cool thing to do, and um, that's what makes you such a great artist. Yeah, because I know I have Kaylee. Kaylee has, like, three or four different mm-hmm. hairstyles on oh, the show. Yeah. And I've been trying to incorporate those hairstyles where appropriate in the show. Because, you know, essentially Zoe... Same hair. She always puts it up or has a little mm-hmm. bonnet. And uh, River, River, of course, is just long, scraggly hair. She yeah. doesn't really care about her looks. So Zoe's or uh, Kaylee is really the only one I concentrate on going, what would Kaylee wake up? Would she want to do those little round bonnet things? Or would it be tying her hair back and all that? So I, I try to stay conscious well, and, of that. And that's the kind of stuff that, the, that fans are going to love. Because honestly, anytime you get to do that, like we feel like you're rewarding Kaylee, right? Like, we know that she would love to do that, and, like, when she gets no. to put her hair up or when she gets to dress nice that no, day... No, I'm, I'm a perv. All, we all sit no. at home and we're like, oh. I'm trying to think, where, how, how little clothing can I put on Kaylee? Because, man. Because oh. she is. She's one of those tomboys that you're going... You don't realize how hot you are. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that just makes you more hot so, when you absolutely. don't realize it. Yeah. Because Inara is obvious. She's beautiful. You're hot. You're like, I expect you to walk around naked 24-7 <laughs> because you're perfect. <laughs> Kaylee, you're like, oh, my God, if she just shows a belly button, I'm, I'm out for the whole day. I, I'm going to get too personal here, but uh, Jewel, Jewel, Jewel State and Ben Foster had a show when I was a little kid. Did they? For, really? For like a season really? called Fast Forward. Mm. And I was, a, I was a fan of it mostly because I thought she was adorable. Oh, God. And so when I, when I grew up and finally saw Firewall Fly, I was like, oh, she's, she's still adorable. <laughs> right, and the only I've, episode I've is the one you. when they do go about how everybody came to the ship and yeah. she's putting on her clothes and you're like, oh, oh, no, no. <laughs> Tease. Oh, Show yeah. me more, please. <laughs> so, but she's such a tomboy. There is no way I can justify her just going, oh, hi, guys. I just thought I'd wear my, my sports bra into the mess hall. Or, uh, yeah. uh, you know, it's really hot in the engine room. So I just kind of took off. Whatever. You know, With like, steam blowing. and I cannot justify that to save my life. I think that's so. fair. Uh, Cool. See, you, every aspiring artist, you learn something you today. Do. Well, just Man. be conscious of what you're doing. <laughs> be <laughs> conscious of what you're doing. Exactly. Uh, George, thank you as always. Okay, guys. Thank you. Awesome. Have the fun the rest of the day. You too. You too. Thank you so much for listening to this exclusive interview from Real Nerds Podcast at Denver Comic Con 2016. I'd like to thank Denver Comic Con and Pop Culture Classroom for giving us this opportunity. Thanks. Bye. Real Nerds is a Nebulous Visions multimedia production. We would also like to thank Sparks Mandrell for our music. Additional music from Ben Sounds. Thank you to Alamo Drafthouse. Thank you to Colorado Coins, Cards, and Comics. And thank you for listening to the Real Nerds Podcast.